0: You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. This is our second week looking at the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Greg kicked us off last week, and I'm just going to read 11 verses to us. Mark chapter 4 and verse 21. A lamp on a stand. He said to them, this is Jesus. Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued, with the measure you use It will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. The parable of the growing seed. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. The parable of the mustard seed. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the words to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Well, so we're going to look for 12 weeks at the Gospel of Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four accounts of the life of Jesus. We've called this one, Come, Follow Me. Jesus, the Messiah, has burst upon the scene and Mark, who leans heavily on the disciple Peter, paints several pictures of what this new era would look like. And they've all happened in Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus has basically founded a new nation. How can I say that? Because he chose 12 disciples. And if you were a Jew, you knew that the whole nation was based on the 12 tribes. So when Jesus burst upon the scene, he was basically saying, guys, I'm bringing a new nation about. Wow. Jesus not only founded a new nation, he established a new family. That happened in Mark chapter 3 as well. What happened is his family thought he was out of his mind, really. And so they came to take him home. And in an honour family culture... He turns around and says, hey, who are my parents, my brothers and my sisters? It's anyone who does the will of God. Oh, wow. So Jesus has established this new family. Jesus has announced a new kingdom. Again, we read this in Mark chapter 3. The teachers of the law question him. By what authority are you doing this? How can you cast out demons and perform miracles? And Jesus says, hey, this is the new kingdom that I am bringing. So Jesus is founding a new nation, establishing a new family, announcing a new kingdom, and then he says to his disciples, come, follow me. Let's be honest, there's a challenge here. Crowds are on the outside, disciples are on the inside. There is a decision to be made as we look at the gospel Of Mark. We're delighted that you are with us here today. And you might say, hey, Pete, I I feel like I'm on the inside. I'm a follower of Jesus. And you might say, actually, to be honest, I'm on the outside. You are really welcome. But how do you make a decision? And do you know exactly where you are? The danger for many of us is that we expect Jesus to be following us. The danger is so many of us approach Christianity and we think Jesus is going to say, what would you like me to do for you? How can I make your life better? But in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, come, follow me. And what we're going to look at this week, and over the 12 weeks, we're just trying to look at major points out of the Gospel of Mark and what happened. And I've got to really do the whole of chapter four. It's stories that Jesus tells. We call them parables. Mark is sharing some of these parables, probably taught alongside the Sea of Galilee. If you're interested in the Greek, it's made up of two words, para, which means alongside, bellow, which means cast or explain. These are more than great illustrations. They are more than an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. These are ways of drawing in the crowd so that they think, golly, What do I decide? Where am I? One commentator that I read this week describes parables in three ways. He said they're pictures that grab your attention and your interest. But then hopefully they become mirrors that make you reflect upon yourself. And ultimately, they should become a vision of God and God's truth. So you look at this picture that you find really interesting, you suddenly reflect and learn about yourself, and hopefully you see something of God's kingdom in there. Now, Mark, as I told you, is drawn upon Peter. The word immediately, I think is used something like 43 times in about 16 chapters. It's fast, fast fast-paced. And when it comes to parables, that's exactly the same. Verse 21 talks about a lamp. Matthew explains that in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 22 talks about the God who reveals secrets. Matthew explains all of that in Matthew chapter 10. Verse 24 talks about the measure that you use. Matthew explains that in Matthew chapter 7. More will be given to him who has in verse 25. Matthew takes Matthew 13 Verse 12 and chapter to 25, verse 29. So this is a condensed thing. If if you like it fast, you know, if you like gels that just pump you up and get you going, Mark is the gospel for you. So we're going to look at these three parables this morning and realize, golly, you could look at them in Matthew and think, four, it's just a much longer, slower meal. Whereas Mark, it's suddenly, if you're not walking out the walls bouncing, we've missed something of what the bible is saying today a lamp on a stand yeah i turn the mic off <laughs> ah Everyone thinks, what's going wrong? Let's grab him a mic. Josh is jumping up there. People are probably already on YouTube going to think, I can't hear him anymore. Nobody wears a mic and turns it off. Nobody lights a lamp and hides it under a bushel. Come on. Instantly, you think, I can't hear you. It's not working. Something's not happening. Do we feel that if we've stopped being a light for Jesus? Are we suddenly panicking, thinking, something's not quite right? I've been called to be a light for him. That is what it's like, a lamp on a stand. In the temple, they put the lamps up high so that actually the light could be seen by as many as possible. Now, we know, again, Jesus was teaching this, and the people there would have understood something of that. Yeah, he's talking about us, but actually, this is pointing to God. In 2 Samuel, which is one of the books in the Old Testament, it says, You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. So, hey, hang on, he's now talking about a lamp. I think this is pointing to something bigger than even us. How can I argue that? I can argue that from another book in the Old Testament, Two Kings. Nevertheless, for the sake of his servant David, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. This is one of the tribes that had really messed up. Because he promised to maintain a lamp for David and his ancestors forever. So yeah, there is a challenge for us to be a light. But ultimately, this picture was really saying, Jesus is the light. In fact, they reckon that if you looked in the actual Greek, rather than me saying, I bring a lamp into the room, it says the lamp comes into the room. Which is Jesus bursting upon the scene that was happening at this time. We know from the Gospel of John, don't we? John 8 verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's really offensive today, isn't it? We like to feel we're an enlightened bunch. We like to feel we've got knowledge at our fingertips, and we have. We like to feel we can Google anything Can we have. Will we admit what we don't know? Or have we filled in so many gaps we think we don't need God anymore? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I was delighted to hear just yesterday, 16 people went out onto the streets of Ealing, called the Turning, and afterwards reported that the team had prayed with 36 people on the streets, 10 of them saying they wanted to give their lives to Jesus. This is surely what we are called to be, lights that shine for him. How do you find that? As a church, we've always said, we are blessed to be a blessing. Hey, we shouldn't be keeping this to ourselves. We should be sharing it with others. And so we've often used this, this acrostic, B-L-E-S-S. And hopefully, if you've been around, you think, oh, I know what that stands for. B am going to be prayerful. I'd love people's eyes to be open to who is this Jesus. I'd love to listen to them. I'd love to ask questions. What are your hopes? What's your dreams? What's your frustrations? I'd love to eat with them, spend time with them, commune with them. I'd love to serve them. What could I possibly do that you would really enjoy? What would help you? I'd love to share my story. This is something of what we're called to be. In fact, Donald English, he uh, did the, um, a commentary he said this, to retreat into the safety of the ark-like church is to miss our way. I felt really challenged as I'm walking here this morning and I'm praying. I love this church. I was away last Sunday and I miss you guys. Honestly, I, think I love turning up every week. I love seeing the folks around. I love hearing someone getting engaged, somebody adopting children, somebody getting pregnant. I'm not prophesying anything now. I'm not looking at you. It's just great to be part of the family. But my danger is I could so enjoy the family that I could retreat into the ark of Redeemer and just think, oh, this is great. As Jesus is saying, we are to be lamps that are lit for him. And then he goes on to this next parable I've called the growing seed. That's what it says in the translation I've got. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a seed. Some of us, we've read the Bible so many times, we forget that. I think, what a bland description of the kingdom of God. I mean, I don't know about you, if I wanted to inspire you, I'd have said the kingdom of God is like a majestic sunset. Changes everything. Look at that, the colours, the colours. I said, the kingdom of God is like this awesome mountain range. Oh, look at the snow-covered mountains, and look at the glaciers, and look at the streams. And I said, oh, the kingdom of God is like a seed. It's It's an interesting picture, really, isn't it? And what it says is, you've got two jobs. Oh, what is my job? My job is to sow and wait. That's all the farmer does. Sows the seed and waits. The seed grows all by itself. In fact, some would say that's the word where we even get automatic from. There's this sense of there's some power in the seed that grows. Danger is that if you've lived in London for any length of time, you could end up thinking, oh, Christianity's dying out. Last one, turn the lights off as you leave the building. But that's not the picture of the gospel in the Bible. The picture of the gospel in the Bible is that this gospel is a growing seed. And some of you come from nations around the world. You say, Pete, that is absolutely true. Yeah, I know. I was chatting to one couple here and they said, God, our church at home is 3,000. We do four services and they're all like 600 each. the, The seed is a growing seed around the world. And that would have been true in church history. We could say it starts with 12 disciples, goes to 500, and quickly it's up to 3,000. We looked at the book of Acts, and in Acts you see this growing seed story. In Acts 4, chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, Many heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Acts 5, next chapter on, nevertheless, more and more Men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Acts, hang on, four, five, six, what's going on here? Acts six in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. I tell you, the gospel is a growing gospel. There's some kind of power. And, and 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 look, if I'm really honest, what do I do? I sleep according to the parable. The danger is sometimes we think it's down to our wonderful technique. We think, oh, well, if I do this, if I could mark it in the right way, if I could possibly persuade or cajole. Or... Now, actually, Jesus is confident that the gospel is this seed that will grow. There's confidence in Jesus that a harvest is coming. I love it. Just watching the, the alpha video this morning, you know what I'm saying? I, was, I just threw out a seed. That's almost what it is. Hey, why don't you come along? ask? you got some questions? Why don't you come and ask? You open-minded? Live in London? What's it all about? I love it. I uh, belong to a ukulele group. We play uh, every Tuesday night in a local establishment in Hanwell. And so many of them are really surprised when I talk about the church. To be honest, they're a slightly older crowd. They're in the ukulele group. And they always say, oh, yeah, but those are... Open, young, and vibrant. They love coming along. Oh, really? (laughs) I said, well, if you're open, young, and vibrant, you're welcome to come and look too. Would you describe yourself like that? Why not take a look on the Alpha? Why not take some time to ask these questions? And then almost Jesus backs it up with the parable of the mustard seed. Again, I mean, look, if I'd have been Jesus, I'd have talked the power of the English oak. You know, what I'm saying this is magnificent. You know what I'm saying? This is solid, sturdy. This is incredible. Jesus says it's a mustard seed. Although we might say now, oh, it's not technically the smallest. The, the people that he was speaking to, it was understood that the mustard seed was the smallest thing, but actually became this great bush. In Palestine, they accepted that. Can I even challenge some of us? Jesus doesn't talk about the roots on the bush. He talks about the fact that it grows. And some of us are so keen to go deeper with God that we forget we're due to grow out into the world. Actually, Jesus is saying here, look, this is is something that's small, but it's got to become big. It's going to become big so it's seen, so that actually it blesses those outside. Jesus himself said, didn't he, that if you abide in me, you bear much fruit. I'm not trying to push the two apart. I'm just trying to say, what's he focusing on in this story? And in this story, this parable, this picture This window, this mirror, he's trying to draw us in and ask the question, hey, are you part of this thing that's going to grow that will impact others? Again, this was an Old Testament image. There was a prophet called Ezekiel, Ezekiel 17. He speaks on behalf of God. That's what prophets do. Prophets declare things from God to people. Priests represent the people to God. The prophet says this, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of the cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain's height of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it, they will find shelter in the shade of its branches. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. God had said this was going to be my, my thing. Jesus then turns up and says, actually, this is what the king, hey, this new family, this new nation, this kingdom, this is a fulfillment of what God had always said prophetically. I guess I just want to encourage us, let's not be daunted by small beginnings. Another prophet says, I haven't got a slide for this one, but it's in Zechariah. Who dares despise the day of small things? Who knows what God calls you to do this week? Who knows in which way you are to be light this week? We do know from the book of Revelation that every tribe and nation and tongue will come around Jesus' throne and will worship him. As I said, there's so much in these parables that you can suddenly think, oh, I wish I could take longer. I could look at that. Another depth, another angle, another perspective. I guess if I had to to go quick on it, I would say the three parables are this. Go public, be generous, be expectant. That's almost like the summary of verse 21 to verse 32. Phil Moore, in his commentary, straight to the heart, says, we cannot produce a kingdom harvest, but we can certainly place limitations on its size. I thought it's a really interesting quote, isn't it? It really gets us thinking, hey, it's nothing about me, but actually God chooses to use you. Are we available to him? Let's not despise small beginnings. I love the fact that so often at Christmas we celebrate Jesus was born and laid in a manger. I think, man alive, talk about small, humble beginnings. It wasn't like he turned up and, you know, there was this hallelujah chorus and, and suddenly they gave him a gold carriage and, and placed him in the most visible, attractive place in the country. He was laid in a manger. But in many respects, we would say Jesus went from being insignificant to being incomparable. And that actually more people have probably heard around and around the world than anyone else. So let me ask you a question Are you listening? Are you listening? It says in Mark 4, verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. It then goes in Mark 24, consider carefully what you hear with the measure you use. It will be measured. Jesus is challenging them. Are you listening? I could just embarrass myself here, let's be honest. You know, Nick is talking away and I'm, I'm completely fixated on the football scores on my phone. And suddenly she says, is that okay? What do I say? Yes, of course it is. I don't know what I have promised. I wasn't listening. I wasn't paying attention. I was totally fixed on something else. Are we listening? It's not just in those two verses. In fact, if you wanted to flick through your Bible, Jesus challenges them, are you listening, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 9. He challenges them in Mark chapter 4 and verse 12. He challenges them in Mark chapter 4 and verse 15. He challenges them in Mark chapter 4 and verse 16. He challenges them in Mark chapter 4 and verse 18. He challenges them in Mark chapter 4 verse 20. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, oh, wow, what great stories. Jesus was this incredible storyteller. He tells four stories, but actually asks them 10 times, are you listening? Am I Listening. James, in a letter, says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. In many respects, I only know that you've heard what Jesus has said by the actions that you live this week. And let's be honest, that's true for us in so many things, isn't it? Victory. Victory. She's really glad of the ring. But I tell you, she wants to hear, keep hearing, you know, you say I love you. And the way you live for the next <clears throat> however many years it is till the good Lord takes one of you home. You've got to keep demonstrating this. Because it's not just a word that you say on your wedding day. It's actions that you live until the day you die. And this is true for us and the gospel. I thought that was Jesse's mum in the background saying, yeah, look after him. <laughs> but we can also, say, oh, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. So what about us and God? Did we say one day, oh, yeah, well, I love you, Lord, and then we just behave our own way? Because Jesus is saying "Look, these are the stories. This is the kingdom. This is the new family. This is the new nation that I'm establishing. If you've really heard, then you will live differently. That is the picture that is painted here. Michael Eaton, in his commentary, it's called The Branch. Quite interesting on these kind of parables. God's kingdom is a secret available to many, but known to only a few. I wish I'd had time to look at the first parable. I thought most of us know the first parable. It's of the sower. The sower who who throws them seed, the gospel again. It goes on the pathway. There's no response there. Maybe you've heard it and you thought, no, there's no response here. Maybe you're like the rock, the seed is thrown, but there's no persistence. Hey, I was keen for God at one time, but I don't know. Life gets busy. Career gets in the way. Marriage gets in the way. Jobs get in the way. Maybe you're like the... The third soil, where actually there's no real priority. You get choked. Jesus is looking for those that actually produce fruit a hundredfold. J.C. Ryle, he was the uh, Bishop of Liverpool. I was going to say after our enormous success last night in Liverpool, but when we came second to last, I'm not sure the Eurovision was a success for the British. The Bishop of Liverpool said in 1900, the visible church of Christ has not yet done growing. And I still believe 123 years on that's true. And that actually this parable here is to stir confidence that will overcome despair. This parable here is to stir growth that is not dependent upon us. This parable here is to encourage patient faith. Where did Jesus start? And I wish we could have looked just there at Mark 3. Jesus is saying, come, follow me, as he founds a new nation. Jesus is saying, come, follow me, as he establishes a new family. Jesus is saying, come, follow me, as he announces a new kingdom. Will you believe to play your part? In seeing his kingdom, his nation, his family expanded here in Ealing, in London. Because I think that's part of the stories that he's stirring us to. Let's pray. Jesus, it terrifies me that I'll hear your word and not act upon it. Lord, I think, what a thought. You know, I could could have preached them and not lived them. Lord, it challenges us all that we just don't become those that, oh, that's interesting, it hit my head, but it's never got into our heart. Or even it's got into our heart and we feel moved, but it never impacts our hands. We don't live this out. Forgive us where we've lost faith for your kingdom to be an advancing kingdom. Lord, we want to see churches planted from this church. We want to see your gospel go from here to London, to the nations. Lord, we don't just want to think that's going to happen next year or 10 years' time. God, what about this year? God, let us believe something small that started here in Ealing grows for your glory. Amen.